You're listening to the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Hello, and welcome again to the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Tonight, we'll be continuing our ongoing series of Doctor Who specials. Tonight, we'll be looking at the story Amy's Choice by Simon Nye. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And we will be your hosts once again. So let's just uh, plow right into it. Ben, Amy's choice. Yay or nay? Uh, can, uh, can I split right down the middle on that one? Uh, I, I give it neither a yay nor a nay. Um, I've, I, I'm very perplexed by this episode. Uh, it left me scratching my head. Uh, it was a, it was a very, it was a very strange episode. I didn't hate it, but by no means did I love it either. Well, I gotta say, I was a little bit uh, nonplussed by it when I watched it the first time, and when we put it on to watch the second time, I admit, I fell asleep. About the first time they fell asleep, I fell asleep, and and right through the entire episode which I don't know if that's a commentary on the episode or whether I was just really tired, but uh, I just sat through it again about two hours ago, and I gotta say, it, it improved. It improved on the second viewing through. Um, some of the things that bothered me or, or just left me meh, the first time were, were, were better this time through. So, um, so I'm going to give this one a, a, a slight positive, but... Uh, it is an odd episode. You're you're absolutely right. Well, I would I, I by virtue of the fact that I found the episode kind of peculiar. I would say that it it was it, it was significantly better than last week's episode for me in terms of some of the story elements and characterizations that I really didn't like in last week's episode. Um, I saw huge improvements. In, in this current one, especially in the area of Rory. I found him to be a much more um, amiable fellow. Oh, ha, 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 amiable. Ha, ha. That's a funny joke. Okay. Maybe not. He's amiable. You still there? I'm still here, yeah. Oh, okay. Just, just checking. <laughs> but I'm bummed. Well, one of the things that, that I think we failed to mention last week, and... For, for a variety of reasons, and I think it, it carried through this week, is that the episode was played for a lot more laughs. Last week's episode was, a lot of it was played for laughs, and, and so was this week's episode. And I'm not sure I'm too crazy about that. You know, once in a while, okay, but but it just something gags a little too much, perhaps. If I, 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 I was only one recurring... Um, gag that I saw and that was the whole uh, false pregnancy you know the false labor pains and and I didn't find them too ill-timed uh, they were okay for me I didn't I, if there was any other uh, regular comic element that featured into the episode it it certainly didn't uh, it didn't push my my laugh button very much mm. well let's uh, let's plow right into the into the the various bits of the episode. Just uh, as a brief summary in this episode, the Doctor and uh, Amy and Rory, who are still on 
traveling around, are bouncing back and forth between two different worlds. One in Upper Ledsworth. Ledworth or Ledsworth? Ledworth, I think I, it is. I, I don't know. It, it's, it's sort of a heavy, heavy metal town. And then also they're switching back and forth to the TARDIS. And the premise set up by this mysterious Dream Lord character is that one of them is real, one of them is false. And the Doctor must decide which is, or Amy perhaps, because of the name Amy's Choice, must decide which one is real. And they keep falling asleep in one, waking up in the other. And now, I'll just say right off the bat that, in a way, I was wrong. But there was, at no point, not one second during the course of this episode, that I had any doubts that the Ledworth reality was a dream. I mean, it was just, it was presented in such a way that everything seemed obvious that that had to be the dream. To Agreed. Me. And I, so, I, I felt exactly the same way. You know, it was a longer segment. If you compare the two, um, they were in Ledworth more of the time. Um, when they were in the TARDIS, they really did nothing. The Doctor, basically the TARDIS sequence was sort of the ticking time bomb in that there's nothing you can do in 40 minutes you die kind of thing. So there's no, we could try to save ourselves, we could try to heat the TARDIS, we could do anything like that. It was just strictly, it was the ticking time bomb. And then in Ledworth, they could have survived indefinitely. I mean, all they had to do was to hop in that van and drive out of town and... You know, yes, it wouldn't have eliminated the alien menace, but it certainly wouldn't have uh, ended up in them inevitably dying. And so it just, from that and, and other things, to me, there was no doubt that that was the dream. So there was no tension there. One of the things, though, that I notice, and I slight devolve a topic, is that television writers, and I'm not trying to lump them into one group, but I might as well make an overgeneralization. Um, there are several ways that you can draw a viewer into a story. The superior way, is my opinion, is to write a great story. If you write a great story, you're going to draw people into it. And the other way to try to draw people into a story is to trick them. You try to trick them with little little things to draw them in and, and, and make them uh, fool them or, or whatnot so that they get a little emotional shock or some sort of a little emotional uh, thing that, that probably the story didn't really deserve, but that it's done, it's, it's a cheap. And, and to me, that's what the ending of this story was. It was, yes, it was a cheat. And yes, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I didn't, I didn't really care for that because in the end, um, we reveal that, and this, you know, what can I say but spoilers, that, you know, both of the worlds are a dream. And in so doing, yeah. they were never in any danger. I mean, I, I get the impression that they, there was no actual danger, but I don't know. Maybe they just never would have woke up um, and, and died of starvation or something. But, you know, that, that basically invalidated the entire story. I think that's part of the problem with why I feel strangely um, ambivalent towards this episode. Part of – for me, part of this overall mystery was who is this dream lord? Clearly the doctor knows who he is and 
Amy recognizes the fact that the doctor knows who he is. The only people who are in the dark are us. We have no clue who this guy is, and we're and and anybody who's a long term watcher of the the show is automatically you know they're going through the catalog in their head while trying to watch the episode at the same time, trying to figure out okay, could it be this person? Could it be this person? Could it be this person? And then right at, at the same time, when it is revealed that uh, both both dreams were just that they were they were dreams. Right at the same time, we get that revelation as to who the Dream Lord really is, and I just kind of sat back and I thought, "What? what why did I just watch this?" I, 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 and I do feel like I was sort of duped. That, that's really uh, as, yeah, it's a it's a dupe. They they duped you. It was intentional to make it you know, ooh, it's the twist ending, but in a way, it just invalidates. Well. Maybe that's not fair because the story is not about the adventure. The story no. was about, well, A, the doctor's interior deep loathing of himself, which I, I don't agree with. He may have some self-esteem problems a little bit, but, you know, clearly they're mashing up on the whole, you know, he's, he likes to hang out with young kids. He's an old man who hangs out with young kids. He's, you know, I like, don't buy that. You know, there was another podcast I listened to and I, I'm not going to name it because I can't think of which one it was uh, off the top of my head. But they were comparing the doctor uh, and Amy in the eleventh hour when she was a little girl to like pedophile grooming, which oh, was just ugh. rubbish, rubbish, <laughs> and, absolute rubbish. No, I I cannot accept that. Uh, even though the doctor has and it's been stated in the past, so by go by covering this ground, we're not really revealing anything. Uh, it has been stated in the in past episodes, uh, past regenerations, that the Doctor does indeed have a dark side to his personality. I mean, I remember even being in a panel with Terrence Dix, uh, who who had written the Five Doctors, who even made that very same commentary. So there's there's nothing new. Okay, so the Doctor has a dark side to his personality. So what? Um, that make that always makes the hero interesting. The fact that he does have this slight conflict within him, and and that that's his personal struggle. But to 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 lower the quality of his character, and to make some kind of some some type of comparison to to child molestation, I, I think is just completely off off the mark. And no, I. I, I, those people are crazy. Whoever said that? Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm hoping they weren't really comparing it to child molestation, but they were just kind of comparing the 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 nature of the this you know an old man and a little well, oldish man. I mean, an adult and a child all alone at night in their house, and that I think they were more concerned about the implication that it might give, I don't know, to children watching the things, that it's okay for a strange man to come into your house and have fish custard at night. I I, I don't know. I, I, I don't... But but nonetheless, then... So I, I dismissed that comment, and now they've got this thing where the doctor has his self-doubts about the fact that he likes to hang out with young kids. And, of course, there's nothing sexual in that except the sequence where the Dream Lord, um, you know, dresses up like Hugh Hefner or however he's designed there to kind of put the eye on Amy for a, a couple of seconds. But uh, I guess the other thing that, that the other major theme that they keep pushing is that the doctor feels like he abandons his companions when they leave. 
and and never goes back to visit. But isn't hasn't it generally been the history of the companions that most of them leave of their own volition? Uh, you yes, know, a few of them didn't. Sarah Jane didn't. Um, Adric obviously didn't. Um, but you know, um, Perry didn't. And then all the new ones don't, for the most part. Martha, the the exception. But you know, and and frankly, would you? I mean, would you leave traveling around in the TARDIS and in time and space? It's pretty hard to imagine. Well, it it is, but I would say that for the majority of the uh, of the companions that did leave uh, of their own choosing, when that time came. It was presented in a manner that I, I personally found believable. You know that, that but that's, Barring Leela. Well, yeah. Well, actually, I was thinking of Tegan. Hers was a little bit. Uh, I'm going to stamp my foot now, and I can't take it. Goodbye. Yeah. Well, she'd seen too much. You know, and, and I, I don't want to digress too much, but you know, she makes a proclamation that she she had seen too much death, and it, it's sort of you get that same sort of. Um, that sense with Martha, it it became too much. Uh, there, there was there was too much drama, in addition to her personal feelings for the Doctor as it was. So I, I think, uh, yeah, there there are a number of characters. You know, they leave for a very good reason. Yeah, the the number of minority or, or the, the 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 minority number of companions that that uh, got uh, dumped, shall we say? Yeah. Um, I, I I don't see that as the doctor abandoning them, you know, and that and besides that issue was even addressed in school reunion. Well, I don't think. Well, yeah, it is. It is a replay. I don't, I don't think it actually. This is that much of a digression because I think this is the most important thing to come out of this story is the doctor's, you know, Amy's choice. Do you go off with this guy? I mean, this is the all the companions' choice. It's not about Rory. It's not about her and Rory. It's about a companion and a regular life and a companion and the doctor's life. And, you know, even, even Amy says it at one point, you know, can you imagine, why would we give this up? She says that to Rory. I, you know, that's why that's gotta be the, the, the fake world is why would we give this up? And so, I mean, I, you know, eliminating all the story and eliminating all of the, the, the cheap ending and whatnot. This is really just a story about why companions what they think about the doctor and and why they're with the doctor and of course why the doctor has companions and and I think the guilt about abandoning them is not when when they leave it's about the fact that he never sends them christmas cards later on you know maybe maybe you know someday he's going to pop up and find susan again and you know send her all those back presents that he that he owes her um because she's out there still somewhere in time and space but you know, I, I think that's what the the central crux of the story was was really all about. Well, I don't know it's if it was interesting. That successful. I, I did. I never got that. Um, I did sense that the story had a purpose, um, and much like much like you uh, thought, it didn't deal so much with the story or the overall story arc. It it didn't have anything to do with that. It 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 more had a. I, I, I don't even quite know how to describe it, but it more had um, a purpose for the viewer, and that is it, it goes back to the title, Amy's Choice, 
And I think once again, even though the Grand Moff did not write this one, I think still this is his attempt at trying to uh, present something other than companions falling in love with the Doctor. Yeah. Because when when uh, in in the 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 dream sequence uh, on Ledworth where where Rory dies. There is Amy having her big revelation. Oh my God, I, I, I really love this man and I never really knew it until now that he's gone. Now that he's taken from me, I now realize how much he means to me. Well, you, you never know what you have until you've lost it. That's a, that's a, a, a truism, I guess, is the way I say it, if I'm not going to uh, cast dispersions on it. But I mean, that's, that's a... Yeah, so I think this was... I think this was something that was presented not for the sake of the story, but for the sake of the uh, the audience out there. Because I remember even before the season started, even before this 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 new series started, uh, a lot of people were making comments and queries about, "Ooh, will the Matt and Amy, will Matt Smith, you know, will, will the Doctor and Amy, will they become kind of connected?" Uh, I mean, everybody was remembering the whole. David Tennant Rose thing and immediately no absolutely not these are just their companions or or as David Tennant's doctor said regarding Donna just mates yeah in the most platonic of sense traveling through space so I think this was uh, again Grand Moff's attempt to maybe hammer that thought into the into the viewers minds that this is this is just a friendship, a mentors, a mentorship, as, as we discussed in, uh, a couple of weeks ago, the doctor mentoring Amy and now Rory. Uh, so I kind of get the feeling that's really what the whole pr- – for me, that's what I got out of it. I'm not saying that's really what – that was the sole intention of the episode, but that's what I walked away well, one thing, One thing this episode did do um, much better than Vampires in Venice did is it firmly gave us a good reason for Rory to stay aboard the TARDIS. You know, he has he has basically come to his peace with, or it appears at the end, he has come to his peace that Amy loves him, not the Doctor, that he doesn't need to be threatened by the Doctor, and that this is a, an amazing opportunity. And he gets to be with with Amy. So, uh, you know, I think, I think it cemented his place. I don't know whether or not he is, you know, through to the end of the series or not. I'm sure he's in the finale unless they kill him, but you know, he, he, he fits now. I mean, he fits as a member of the crew at this point, whereas he was the third wheel in vampires in Venice. Yes. And that, I think that's one of the reasons why I actually liked him better in this episode. He he gelled better. I mean, I I can't really identify one thing or another, but he certainly he 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 was certainly more cooperative. Um, I I don't know if it's because the whole fiction of them being married back on Earth had something to do with it, but his actions really seem to indicate that. He, he he was he he, I, he was taking charge. He he cooled down too. I mean, he he was clearly in Vampires in Venice. 
he was upset. Um, very upset. And eh, fair enough. But, um, you know, jealous. Downright and out jealous. Um, so, yeah, in this case, I think he's come to peace with it. And that's a that's a good thing overall. And, the, and there was a, a really good resolution at the end of the, the first dream when they woke up. Yeah. After the whole Ledworth incident, and you know, then he he's, he he realizes that that Amy really does love him very very much. So yeah, he's. It, I will be fascinated to find out how he's going to be portrayed from here on out. I think I'll we'll be very st- interested to see that. I think we'll still see a whole bunch of uh, hey, yours is bigger than mine, mine's bigger than yours, kind of humor. I think that's going to continue. Uh, throughout the the stories, but uh, well, maybe I should rephrase that. Maybe I should. Maybe maybe it's not so much how is Rory going to be portrayed, but how will the Rory Amy dynamic be portrayed as a couple? Because that was strict. That that was very much reinforced uh, uh, in this episode. And that, and like again, that's that's what I got out of it. That Amy made her choice. Yes, she enjoys traveling with the doctor and as you said who would want to give that up but if we're talking in terms of um uh, any a kind of a relationship because that's that's what they've been flirting with uh you know, for for several episodes now mm-hmm. she has chosen rory not the doctor so the question so is- i'd be fa- i'd be fascinated to see what kind of dynamic is going to exist now as far as that goes so the question is is Rory an alien that's been planted on the earth, tagged to Amy, waiting all these years to get his opportunity to make some attack on the doctor? Or did I just completely pull that out of left field? Well, you know, I when you first you you mentioned this to me yesterday and, and when 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 we were talking and and I I thought, wow, that that's really just snatching that one out of the air. But then I started thinking back, and there were two things. One, we go back to that that name badge. Yeah, which could have been uh, supposed to be his birth date because that'd be about right. Nineteen ninety would be it, about right age. It could be, but if he's an alien that's been planted, uh, it could be assumed that um, it was not done in a rather competent manner. Hence, the the, the bad date. On uh, on the name badge as far as a date issued, and then the second one is his rather nonplussed reaction when he first entered the TARDIS. It was very atypical, and for someone as goofball as as Rory is, yes, I've been I reading up on ex- science. Oh, yeah, I'm not I'm not wowed by this complete yeah, breakdown I would of the have laws expected, of physics. Yeah, I would have expected a, a definite reaction. Much along the lines of Mickey. From, Mickey, Mickey from, peed his pants, if I recall correctly. Yeah, he he just completely uh, went off went off the deep end when he stepped into the TARDIS, and and Mickey was no brainiac. Uh, Mickey Mickey True. for that season is this season's Rory, in in many many ways. I mean, just look at it. Uh, you've got the the whole Rose is Rose was a very smart very adventurous companion to the doctor. Amy is no different. She's she has demonstrated in in the episode so far that she has she clearly has a a really good brain and has on occasion come to some really astute 
conclusions that even escapes the doctor. And, and I applaud that. You know, it's, it's nice to have a very strong and intelligent companion who happens to have a boyfriend that is a complete and utter twit. And it's possible that, that we, are, we are playing out the Rose thing again with a different re- reality. In other words, Rose had a boyfriend. She runs off with a doctor. Then they bring the boyfriend in, and ultimately the boyfriend realizes he doesn't stand a chance, and he leaves, and he goes off to his own life, and he, he moves on. And this is the same pattern exactly, except that the boy wins instead, as that this time it goes the other direction. Yeah, but the odds of that happening, I mean, it, it could. I'm not 50, saying 50. That, it, that it's not. Well, uh, I'm thinking more like 70-30 because I keep coming back to he really is a lot like Mickey. I mean, he, Rory is not all that bright. Or at least he has not been presented as being all that bright. And even a smart person, when they step inside that TARDIS, is going to flip out. Now, someone of, of Rory's mental faculties should not take everything – that he sees once he steps into, inside the TARDIS and, and understands the, this whole new level of physics and be able to accept it at face value because that's exactly what he did. And I found that to be a little bit weird unless he were indeed, as you pointed out or as, as suggested, an alien plant. Well, remember, Rory is a nurse and I guess you know doctors can make jokes about it, but nursing is not an untrained skill. And of course – we can see from his dream that he has aspirations to go on to be a doctor. Uh, Mickey was a mechanic, you know, uh, in, a ca- in council flats. So, to, to his credit, Rory should be smarter than Mickey. But again, well, right. n- not, not necessarily. Not, nobody could. Not, I couldn't walk on the. Not necessarily. Um, I don't. I don't know what the what the medical system is like in in the UK. Well, see, but NSF, having- so I think they just bring everybody in from Czechoslovakia. Well, I'm am ju- just saying that having having myself worked in the healthcare industry and having worked in in uh, in nursing homes, uh, some some nurses, and that's that's the title they get, nurse, don't exactly have the greatest qualifications around because they're not required. It's well, it's like so it's 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 different degrees of education, which gives you different degrees of um, standing as, as being a nurse. So if if the if the same holds true in England, then Rory does not necessarily have to be the brightest bulb in the pack to qualify as uh, like an RN or something or an LP. Well, not maybe not an LPN, but like an RN or something like that. So he doesn't have to be all that intelligent. So let's uh, take a quick look here at uh, some of the other aspects of the story. Uh, I don't know if you, if you tried to break it. Part of the reason that the story left me kind of meh during while I was watching it, particularly the first part, is if you deconstruct it, if you if you split those two stories apart, the TARDIS story and the Ledworth story, uh, and just said, okay, if this were an episode of Doctor Who, would it be any good? Well, for starters, the TARDIS story would not be any good. Them plummeting to their death and doing essentially nothing other than making an egg beater into a small generator is, you know, a boring story. Which is, yes. of course, why I think it's the timer, just the, the ticking clock. But if you take the Ledworth story and cut it apart and, and – That look one at, could have stood on its own. Uh, you know, I, it's a zombie story and 
I don't like yeah. zombie stories. They're, no, they're I, I'm not, yeah. dull. You know, zombies are just resent, relentless, and then on their way, and you just you run faster, shoot them in the head, hit them with a board. I like the part where you hit the girl, the old lady, with a board. That was <laughs> I also like the part where the doctor pushed the old lady off the roof. I mean, now that was great. After she yeah. killed Rory, and he just goes out there and just shoves her right off the roof. Nobody, it, I, it was awfully funny. It was. So, and there were the comedy elements, pushing old folks around. Um, but uh, that I'm come not off saying sounding very good, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> I'm not saying that it uh, that if you split these two stories apart, that the the, the Ledworth story would have been a good one. But it would have been better than just than what we were given in the TARDIS, because yeah, as in fact, it, it sort of reminded me a little bit of um, one of the William Hartnell episodes. Where the TARDIS is careening out of control, I think spiraling towards the black hole. Maybe? Yeah, edge of destruction. Yes, exactly. And yeah, didn't they do some? I, I don't. They think did I've... do something about it. I mean, they yeah. did. They did take action, which was great. Here, they weren't going to do anything. They were just like, "Oh well." Mm-hmm. Because I think they were they were even acting under the assumption, possibly, and, and I, I, it was sort of inferred that the Ledworth thing was not really. What, what, that was the dream. The Ledworth and nightmare. Therefore, yes. Yeah, the Ledworth nightmare. And that if they can, if 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 they die in that one, they'll wake up in this one, and then you know the Dream Lord will restore their power. Which oddly enough is yes. sort of what kind of happened. At least so they thought. Here's one thing that bothered me: uh, taking aside, looking at technical issues. Step aside and look at the technical issues of the thing. The directing on this episode, I, I. Didn't pay attention to who the director was. Apologies to the director, or, or perhaps you would prefer not to be named if I if I start saying I didn't care for it. I didn't like a lot of the direction. I, I didn't. I particularly didn't like the fact that sometimes they would fall asleep, and then they would wake up in the other spot, and they would get up. So, in other words, like when they went to sleep on the bench, then the next shot, the doctor gets up from the floor of the TARDIS. As if he's been asleep. Yes, there were some but definite it inconsistencies. Didn't right. Sometimes they did, and sometimes they came back and they looked like they were standing right in the middle of, a, of an action pose. And then thinking about the time when they came, were coming up the stairs to see that the children had all been um, zonked away. And, and then I was paying closer attention to that this time, and it happened you know, interstitial. And what are we supposed to get from that? Are we supposed to get from that that that's actually where they came back in real time? Or are we supposed to get that they woke up, stood up, and then did that? And I, it's it's a confusing type of editing, and I couldn't make any determination that it was intentional. So maybe it was for time. Maybe they felt, you know, people would be sick of watching them get up, which I admit I was sick of them falling asleep and waking up at the other end. Um, yeah. But... I just felt that it kind of failed, and it failed the worst on the last one, where he blows up the TARDIS, and then the next shot, he's standing there in a pose, holding his psychic poppies yes. in his hand, yes. and they're walking down the steps. It's like, is that where they woke up? Was he standing it, there holding those when they, they went off, or or is this supposed to be 10 really minutes later? What was really going on? What yeah. was really going on? We don't know. It, And not that it's critical, but it it 
it it yeah, yeah. It, is, no, it, it is critical. It, I didn't like it. Editing in a video yeah. is critical. There are certain conventions, and, and admittedly, they've been destroyed, ruined beyond compare by MTV, uh, if MTV is still around. But music video, uh, filming, or taping and editing and whatnot. But but there are certain conventions. It's just like using a word processing document. You know when to put a paragraph. You know when to indent. You can do all sorts of silly things in a word processor, but you shouldn't do it. And there are certain there are certain conventions that we've most of us who are over the age of twenty have grown up and have been trained, whether we like it or not, that a fade means time goes past, and that a cut means it's simultaneous. And then if you're George Lucas, you've got a cross, you know, like a cross wipe that tells you you've changed time and place. And, you know, there are these, these conventions are right. Now, when you start messing around with them, you've got to either be doing something intentional, and I'll, I'll point something out. There's an episode uh, that probably you and I will get to at some point in the future uh, when we move into uh, Space 1999. Um, that that has always that has stuck with me for years because in the first series of that they did some amazingly weird editing and cinematography, and there's like a scene where Koenig and Alan Carter are talking, and whenever one of them's talking, they cut to the other guy, and so you never see the mouth moving of the guy talking, even though they're standing in the same room. And no, you're getting reaction shots. It gives you the illusion that they're thinking to each other, and and they never explain that. Are they actually? in telepathic communication with each other or are they talking and they just don't show it and it is an odd effect and it's clearly intentional and so you can do weird point is you can do weird things with editing to achieve a bizarre result or a desired result but i didn't feel like they were doing it in this episode i felt like they were achieving an undesired result because it was distracting and it was it was maddening to me I, I want to quickly uh, interject that the director for this episode is uh, – her name is Catherine Morshead. She had directed uh, – in the past, she, she's directed uh, numerous episodes of Ashes to Ashes among a whole list of other things. She will <laughs> well, also – cuts, uh, cuts in and out in strange right. ways. She okay. will also be uh, directing the 11th episode of this season called The Lodger. So she oh, will be back. That doesn't look promising to me. No pictures I've seen, but okay. Um, okay, so the last thing I think we should uh, bring up here real quick is let's talk a little bit about the Dream Lord. Oh my God! You know it was really funny. I and I, I'm really going off totally on a ledge here. Uh, the, the the actor who played the Dream Lord, Toby Jones, he he has this kind of little Weasley attitude or, or Weasley presentation. And the first thing that actually came to my mind when I realized what was going on here is he reminded me of the spokesman for the, uh, the, the company Recall in the movie Total Recall. Hmm. Don't – reminded, He reminded me of him. Hmm. And I, I realize that's just probably the, the biggest coincidence around. But still, this, this Weasley uh, host of, of, the, of the dream, of the fiction, who is guiding people along uh, while they're asleep, it, it, it was just it, – it, it, 
I don't know. I, I'm rambling at this point. <laughs> I don't know where exactly I'm going with this. I can't but recall I, Total Recall. So, no, uh, just, oh God, don't want to. I just watched it not too long ago, <laughs> and so I wish sorry. I had. Um, I wish I had. But it it was really th- that was part of the the what I was really getting uh, out of this episode, at least when I was first watching it. Who is this guy? The doctor clearly knows who he is, and and I'm rattling through my brain trying to figure out going through the doctor's rogues gallery of of villains. The Valyard, yeah, the master, and, 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 well, the, well, the Valyard really comes to mind. Davros with legs. Oh. Well, I, I would, I would say that at one point I thought, could the Black this be Guardian? Well, you know, funny enough, my partner thought that very thing. He thought this was the Black Guardian, but then my thought was, is this some incarnation of the Master we haven't met yet? I mean, I've, I've, I find it kind of ludicrous that we, 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 we've seen in past Dark Two episodes, you know, we, that at any point a a person could meet a different incarnation of the Doctor. I mean, we've clearly seen that with the whole River Song thing. But that's only so, happened subsequent to the end of the Time Lords. Now, you know, in in prior to the destruction of the Time Lords and them keeping control on time. You know, instead of having those those uh, creatures from Father's Day scouring time up, right. the Time Lords kept it orders, and and it was stated that, uh, with one exception, that the Doctors can only come together, the different incarnations can only mix under the most dire of circumstances, and then pretty much only which when the Time Lords did not happen. In the two which doctors. which which was not necessarily the case in the two Doctors, right. but. I digress again. However, you did bring up a really good point, and that was this sort of thing really didn't happen very much as long as the Time Lords were around. Well, the Time Lords are gone. Mm-hmm. So who's to say that maybe all bets are off? Who's to say we could not meet a previous version of the Master, one who is not quite as, as, as cunning as as the master, you know, the, our first master that we were all introduced to, Roger Delgado. I, I remember when he was first introduced to the series. Even John Pertwee's doctor kind of scoffed. At, yeah, he he really didn't think too much of him. Uh, he kind of held him in contempt. Uh, apparently, the doctor knew who he had, uh, who the master was, what kind of person he had been, and apparently wasn't too threatening. So maybe this – my first thought was maybe this is one of uh, – a very early incarnation of the Master, one who is just that, not very skilled uh, at, at being quite so evil. When we finally find out who it is or who it isn't, I, I, I must admit I was – I don't know if I want to say that I, – I, part of me was very disappointed but then the, the naturally, my first thought, and I think anybody who's a longtime watcher of the show, their, that first thought is, is this a representation of the value or not? <sighs> I, I don't know. Uh, especially when the, when the doctor looks at his reflection in the console and sees that face instead of his own. I think it's safe to say that this may not is not the Valyard, but that the same no. forces that will or will not create the Valyard from the Doctor during a regeneration are this is it manifestation of his personality. So yeah, I and, suppose you could right. say it is. But and, and and the fact that 
you know, not not to criticize Trial of a Timeler too much, but that, that was never really got the you know the whole how does a Valyard exist as it is anyway. I mean that whole thing was never fully explained. It, it every time I watch it, kind of left me scratching my head. So it, I kind of got that exact same thought or same feeling, same reaction when looking at the Dream Lord. When we find out who he is, like, who who is this guy? Well, I'll, I'll put a couple couple more ideas out there. We are, I think, we're probably running just a touch long this week. Sorry about that, but but we'll, we're having so much fun with this one. Um, one, I don't know who that actor is who played the uh, top, the Dream Lord, so I have no preconceived notions. Apparently, he's famous or well liked or stuff because a lot of people have said, "Ooh, this is great," and I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know who he is. And yeah, so, he's. I'm looking at his resume. He's done a lot, taking, dating back to 1992. Taking him from entirely just cold, I thought he played the part well, but I found the part annoying as all heck. I I just wanted to put a fist through his mouth every time he popped up, practically, which I guess maybe is was the intent. But I didn't. I didn't care for the character of the Dream Lord. He was just too comical. But of course, it's the Doctor. The Doctor is comical, therefore his super dark id will be a comedy, comedy kind of person. So, um, it, mostly that. I just that was the other piece of the story that I didn't really care for. It wasn't the actor per se, but as a villain, <clears throat> I wasn't. I wasn't overly impressed with him. I would much prefer him laughing maniacally and and stroking a non-existent beard kind of evil tugging sort of thing um he's certainly i i certainly didn't get any sense of threat no again if not threatening and and maybe even though he is supposed to be a, a dark a darker representation of the doctor's personality there should still be that that threat that should kind of send a chill down your spine. And instead I just looked at this guy and, and I thought, you're really an annoying git. I want you out of my way. Mm. One more thing. How did you, I, I've been seeing a little bit more people complaining about Amy, that, that they thought she was great at first, but she's becoming more and more annoying as they go. And I, I don't, I don't feel that way, but, um, what I did notice that was I thought was very strange was in the upper Ledworth sequence. She had no compassion, concern, whatever you want to call it, for that, well, we now we know imaginary, unborn baby. There didn't seem to be, you know, when, when Rory died um, and she was all distraught about Rory dying, she didn't give a thought to the fact that there's a third entity. And, you know, despite what anybody may say one way or the other with regards to when a, when a baby becomes a child, when you're about to pop it out the bottom, it's a child. And so, you know, if, if, if it were ringing true, if her character were ringing true, she should at least have some concern for the baby. But, but there's none of that. The only concern she has is that it makes her run slow. And I, I don't know whether that's just... Amy is an evil, bad mom, or the writer is a guy and therefore has no conception of this, no pun intended. I would go with that one. <laughs> or it I'll was go just that yeah. poorly thought out. I, I don't know. 
I, 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 I think that it was just the writer had no clue. He, he just had no idea. But then you have a female director. I would kind of hoped that she would have that that she would have, you know, tried to empathize a little bit and Rory. think, you know, we, we, we Amy needs to be a little more sympathetic towards this baby that she's carrying because it's ready to come out any moment, at least in this in this nightmare. So she should have some sort of passion for it. But she didn't think As, twice about killing herself. Basically, no. and and the baby, it, you know, even though it was it well, fake, by so. that point, I think she had pretty much resigned herself to the fact. Yeah, that, but that is true. I mean, okay, so she's got this big thing. I don't want to live. I mean, that is so atypical of uh, of, of a, a an expecting mother, right? I mean, I've heard you know, and I you know, I don't want to get too overly political, but I've I've seen so many you know, um, wives that are expecting who've lost their husbands due to to whatever reason, you know, the 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 war overseas or to a car accident, or whatever. But they always come back to somehow this child is what's left of him. It exactly unless and it is you got and right, but, well, but but you know what I mean, yeah. And there was none of that. She felt no remorse. She was more than happy to go ahead and just kill herself, which made no sense whatsoever. And and one thing I should point out, Rory had more feelings for that baby than she did because you could see yeah. it in the scene where he was all maudlin about the, uh, the, uh, the baby crib and whatnot. I mean he actually was thinking about – he was thinking about the life. You could see that, but – Amy never you know, did. That's a it's a really really good point. I I didn't catch it. I'm glad you brought that up because I I didn't see that until just now, and I do find that a little disturbing because I had been. Of course, it is his dream. Yeah, but but I had been something of a supporter of Amy. I thought she would like as I said just a, a little while ago. I thought she's been a very very strong companion. The first two episodes, and well, even even the even into even the third. Of victory of the Daleks, she was a very strong, compassionate, intelligent companion. And, but now you're right. This is the first time where she really strayed from that path, and and I do find that rather alarming. And I'm hoping that it's. I'm shallow. hoping that this is just a one-off. It is. It made her. It made her off as extremely shallow. And although she, I, I now that I think back, she, you know, we got kind of got a little bit of that in Vampires of Venice as well. She was a little shallow towards towards Rory. So maybe I don't know if this is deliberate or not. I certainly hope not. If that's the case, then I'll be more than happy to see her finally go because if this is the path that she's going on, she's going to be completely unlikable by the end of this series. Well, next time, the Silurians are back, and what that means is that you all can be prepared for a lesson on the in, eras in of paleontology. The <laughs> because this will not go unchallenged, despite the fact that they talked about this and they tried to quote-unquote fix it in the Sea Devils, they have never been able to get it right because they're always going to be called the Silurians from now and forever. And and there have been lots of new discoveries since both the Sea Devils and Silurians were out that are even going to be more fun to talk about. So, Or at least fun for me to talk about and hopefully mildly entertaining for someone else. 
So well, what this basically means is that I'm just going to sit back with my microphone on mute and let you rant because that's what this is going to be. It's going to be a rant. No, I'm hoping that this is going to be the greatest episode of the series, uh, of the season anyway, because there is one other piece of information. The Silurians was the very first Doctor Who I ever watched back in about 1974 when they, they showed them down in Tucson. That is the show that got me started watching Doctor Who. Despite their name, I love the Silurians, and they have just been given the worst stories, and I am hoping that they get something better. And, by the way, we will be back in two weeks because it's a two-part story, and so we're going to do them both uh, together. So, um, until next time, I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. Fusion Patrol is produced by Lone Locust Productions. You can contact us at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Our theme music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf.